Hello and welcome to episode, what are we now? 41. Wow. Um, this is Journey to Organization. I am Rebecca Saltzman from Balagon Beyond Personal Organization. And I got a lot of voicemails this week. So I'm not going to be able to get to every single voicemail. Um, I've been working hard on creating my challenge course. I know a lot of ladies are interested in it and I'm going to work on a way to get it all to you. So be patient and I, Bezrat Hashem, will find a great way to bring it to you all. Um, so like I said, I got a lot, a lot of phone calls this week and I won't have a chance to get to all of them, but, um, I'm going to do my best to get to a few. Um, I want to just answer a few quickies. Um, Someone asked, and this is not about organization, um, someone asked me about the Flow Living Diet Plan and which uh, episode I spoke about it in. I don't remember. <laughs> I do keep track, but I must not have marked exactly which, uh, I must have mentioned it in passing and I, I didn't mark it in my show notes. So um, I'll give you just a brief understanding about it. There's a book called Woman Code. It's written by Alisa Vidi. She um, has a syndrome called PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, um, which is an endocrine disorder. Endocrine disorders are can be multiple things. Uh, I have a thyroid problem. That is an endocrine disorder. So this book works for anybody who has any type of endocrine disorder. Um, basically her website, uh, is flow, F L O living.com. And I get, I make nothing from talking about her. I just, I'm a huge fan and a real supporter and her system has really, really worked for me. Um, the book is called woman code, like I said, and basically it's really easy, uh, warning if you're, if you're on speakerphone, now's a good time to turn off the speakerphone. Um, if you... If you're still, uh, you know, going to the mikvah every month, then it's a really, really, really easy uh, program to follow because it basically um, divides your month into parts of your cycle um, where you're eating certain foods at certain times during the cycle. So, for example... Let's start with like the day after your period ends. There's a week where, you know, the clean week where you uh, don't eat, where you eat a certain type of food. And then there's like the day before the mikvah, the mikvah night, then the day after the mikvah where you would eat a different set of foods. And then there's the time in between that phase, the ovulatory phase, and the time when you get your period, um, that you eat a different set of food, and then the week that you have your period, then you eat like even a different set of food. And it's not that you can't eat all the foods at any time, just you should increase the intake of certain foods at certain times of the month and de decrease certain foods at other times in general or in, in the month itself. And um, what I found is that the reason why it's helpful is because in order for your body to regulate itself, it has to have an equal level of hormone. And her theory is that food, uh, and I'm not a doctor, I'm just telling you what her theory is and how it's helped me. But her theory is, is that hormones need to be balanced in order for you to 
for your body to function properly, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it. And um, what this has done for me is that I basically can eat whatever I want as much as I want as long as I'm increasing certain foods at certain times of the month. And she goes through like a whole protocol. If you have acne or if your um, period flow is a certain color or a certain thickness, you should increase this food or decrease that food. And, and it's really, really helpful for me. And one thing that I can really say I think has been the biggest benefit for me is that it has really shortened the amount of time that I get my period, but also it has made my period more comfortable and there is no staining. So um, it's just overall so much better, more comfortable. It's just a great experience. I'm much more in tune with my body. She has an app for those of you who use smartphones that tracks everything for you, remind you what stage you're in, when to switch, you know, moving food from one group to the next. And I just find that it's really helpful and I'm much more conscientious about where I am in the month. And like, I notice my ups and downs more, like when I get more tired or, you know, when I am able to from an organizational standpoint, I'm able to plan myself like I know, oh, it's this time of the month, I'm probably going to get my period on this day. And, and I mean, if you're counting anyways, you know, but like, it's just more in tune, because I can recognize the stages a little bit, even more so than I, w I was before. And it's just, I find that I'm much more in tune with my body. I find that from women in general are more in tune with their bodies anyways, but this is just, for me, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And I, I, I'm talking about it not only because this one lady asked me a question, but also because another lady asked me a question and I know I'm not responding to your first voicemail that you left, but I'm responding to your second voicemail and she actually said to me that it's hard for her also in the kitchen and with food and I don't know exactly why food is such a trigger for me or I mean I know why food is such a trigger for me but like it's so hard for me like I just don't I don't want to be around it and so like I don't mind standing there doing the dishes or even like tidying up it's just the food preparation where it just feels like oh food again and I'll tell you one thing <laughs> that happened um, after I got engaged. My husband came for some of the chagim to my parents' house and we would eat like a meal. <laughs> and my mom would be like, okay, what should I warm up for dinner? And, you know, it's a Yantif lunchtime meal. And my husband would be like, what do you mean? what are you gonna like warm up for dinner just like don't serve a lot and he was just like sort of surprised at the quantity of food that my mother would make and I guess his mother his mother just doesn't does not make the same quantity of food that my mother makes um and so and even when my mother-in-law used to come for Pesach she would also uh be like surprised that like just the frequency in which the food would just sort of flow through our house and I think that this kind of constant thinking about food all the time for me is just sort of develop this love-hate relationship where I need to have food to survive, but I also, now that it's my job, my, like, 
as the main, you know, provider in the house for food that like I deal with the food. And I said to my husband, I'm like, listen, I don't mind going grocery shopping. In fact, I find grocery shopping sort of cathartic and I really love the time. But, um, I said to him, I'm like, I need to take some of the food, like preparation aspects off of my plate because it's too hard for me to deal with it. And I just, I can't, like, I just, I can't explain it, but I just can't do it. And he's like, okay. And he makes the kids lunches. And the thing is, is that by taking some of the burden off of myself and giving it to him, that's made things better. Um, like, I, I don't know why, but on the leftover nights, I find that just warming up the food is such an onerous task and I really just can't stand to do it. And I try to like, like tonight, I, my husband said to me, do you want to take the kids to the doctor's appointment and, uh, or should I? And I'm like, no, you do it. I'll do it because then you can, you know, get dinner set up. And to me, it was more comfortable to, to go out and just let my kid out on a cold, well, cold for Israel. It's not as cold as what's happening in the U S but a cold, you know, damp night here in Israel, it was better for me to do that and schlep through the traffic and try to find a parking space and then schlep home than to deal with the food in my nice, warm, comfortable kitchen. Because I just, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. And I think sometimes our biggest problems are is that we have tasks that we don't like or we're not good at or are hard for us or they take us a long time or just that we can't do everything. And it's so hard for us to delegate or share responsibility with other people in our family. But that's what family is there for, for us to delegate and share and be together and be part of something. And if we can't ask our spouses or our children to pick up the slack for us, then, then we're slaves. So (laughs) we don't want to be slaves and we want to enjoy ourselves and we want to feel good about ourselves. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I want to have 30 minutes or an hour to sit down with my husband and talk to him when it's quiet and there's nothing bothering us and, um, or no one bothering us and where everything is just sort of tidied and clean and we could sit down and have a cup of tea and just talk to each other. And to me, Part of saying getting help in the kitchen allows me to do that, but it also takes something that I don't really enjoy and that doesn't bother him off of my plate. And so um, I feel like there is a certain aspect of me in particular, I can't speak to anybody else, there is a certain aspect of things that I don't want to do that are lazy And that's why I outsource them. Like, I don't want to clean my house. And so that's why I'm happy to get a cleaner every other week and just fill in for him when he's not here. But I just, like, to me, it's worth it because if you have the money, it's worth it because it's okay to be lazy about some tasks. I don't think we have to do every single task in the world that falls, you know, under home care by ourselves just because we're the ones home and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to get help and we shouldn't feel embarrassed or ashamed for asking for help or needing help or not being good at any task 
And I just, I want everybody to feel like even if you're not good at organizing or you're not good at cleaning or like I don't have any stuff on my floor right now, but I still don't want to sweep my floor or mop it. <laughs> so I'm going to run my iRobot and maybe in the morning I'll run my steam mop just really quickly over the floor because it's a little muddy from all the rain. But like, I don't know, I don't feel bad about having my cleaner coming and not doing it myself. And I feel like we shouldn't feel bad about that. And we should try to delegate as much as we can so that we can do the things in life that we enjoy the most, like spending time with our kids. And so the thing about doing the flow living protocol is that I'm in tune with myself and I can function on a much higher level than I was before. And I spend less afternoons taking a nap. I mean, personally, I like to take a nap like between like three and, and four because I work all morning. I take care of the kids from like two till whatever, two till four and two till seven really, till my husband gets home. And then I do work at, <laughs> I start doing work again at 7.30 or whatever. Um, till around 10 o'clock and so sometimes I want to take a half hour or 45 minute little you know nap my kids after I set my kids up with their lunch break or whatever and they're good to go and I don't need to supervise them all the time um, especially if I know I'm going to have a very long night with clients internationally on the phone and so I like to, to try to take a nap and I don't feel guilty on the days where I'm going to lie down but I need it so much less now that I've been doing this protocol and that is a really great feeling. So I need to nap less. I just have more strength, more energy. I feel better and I really, really highly recommend it. Um, this other lady said to me, she said she was listening to me and, and she heard that I used to move my furniture around when I was a kid and that I... Um, I um, and that my daughter has a learning disability and she likes to do it. And it's funny that she said that she had an auditory processing problem when she was a child. And actually, that is the problem with my daughter. I actually don't have a learning disability, but uh, my daughter does. And that is her learning disability. And she was just sort of asking me, uh, you know, what helps me focus on tasks and do I sort of think that like people who struggle with organization in the early stages of their life um, end up equalizing as they grow up or becoming organizational masters when they come get older. And I do actually think that people who struggle with organization as children tend to go one of two ways, either they're organizational geniuses or they're complete organizational messes. What I do find is that people who have a more um, visual learning um, process actually are really good at organization as they get older because um, they're able to visualize where things go and how, fit in, how they fit in. So games like Tetris or Jenga are, are easier for them because they can visualize how the mechanics of things work a little bit better. Um, the other aspect of the question is, is 
when you have a learning disability or you have a problem with focus, how, how do you stay focused? And actually, that is one thing that I will admit is very difficult for me. And when I thought about it, it wasn't really the focus that was the problem, but rather the motivation to actually get things done. Once I'm, I've started a task, I'm fine. I could do it. But a lot of times I'm not really motivated to get the task done, which is not an organizational problem. It has more to do with being lazy, I think, um, or not knowing how. What, this is an organizational problem when you don't know how to solve the problem, but sometimes it's not that you don't know how to solve it. It's just that you don't want to do it. And so when it, you have to sort of break it down and see what the problem is with the focus. Am I not doing this task because I don't want to do it? Or am I not doing this task because I can't figure out how to get it done? And that's really the difference between what's focus and what's organization. If you can't figure out how to get it done, it's an organizational focus problem. If you, if you just can't find the time because you don't actually want to do it, well, you know, that's just lazy. <laughs> and I will fully admit to sometimes being lazy. But also, I mean, I think that there are sometimes blockages to, to not doing things that are not organizational, organizational and not lazy. I mean, there's certain aspects of fear or worry or concern that if you don't do it right, it won't, you know, it won't, the whole thing won't go right or just that you don't, you know, you aren't exactly sure how to attack it, not from an organizational standpoint necessarily, but more from like maybe a business perspective, let's say, if it's, a, it's, if it's a task, you know, you need to do for work, you're not really sure how to implement it, but it's not necessarily organizational, it's more like technical, let's say, it could be a better word. Um, I think that once you identify what the problem is, it's a lot easier to say to yourself, stop being lazy, or figure out the parts of this problem and why I can't get to the solution. It becomes a lot easier once you can be a little more honest with yourself. So um, I hope that helps. Um, okay, a lady called and asked me about recipe books. Um, I couldn't actually hear the message about cookbooks or recipe books, so if you could please uh, leave me a message again, I would appreciate it. Um, okay, there is a lady who called me and she said she loves organizing. She organizes all day long, but she sometimes feels like she doesn't enjoy life because she's a perfectionist. Her house looks ready for Pesach all the time and she doesn't enjoy what she has. And the thing is, is that if that's the truth, then you probably have too much stuff and you have to remember that like, perfection is the enemy of done. I've said that before. But like, if you're not enjoying what you have, then you're focused too much on the cleanliness aspect or the actual stuff more than you should be. I really, um, oh, and she said she has little boys who are always disorganizing her stuff. Um, I think that's because they see that it irritates you and they want to be a little bit dirty and they want to not be perfect all the time. And I think that that's little boys and girls 
natural inclination to be exploratory and sort of see something that's in sedel in, in organization and be like, oh, let's see how we can dismantle this and what it looks like from the inside. And I think it has more to do with curiosity rather than trying to antagonize you. Um, but I think if you could probably reduce your belongings by at least 20%, you would be able to feel a little less um, perfectionist. The thing is, is that if you can when you have less stuff, you focus less on the stuff and the organization. So you won't have to organize all the time if you just have less. Um, <laughs> and I think that if you just have less, it'll be less enticing for your kids to mess it up. So... Um, it's like I always say, when you clear your clutter, you clear your mind. And if you have less, you really have more. And I suggest feeling okay with getting rid of some of the stuff. And, um, you know, let me know and see if you can really reduce by 20%. Okay, SD loves organizing. She says, I help her on a daily basis. Um, she said her dumping thing and mindset is totally different. She doesn't dump anymore. She's using the one in, one out method. Um, she wants to know if she can do the challenge group over the phone. She said, my house is lighter. That is a really amazing feeling when your house feels lighter. I once had a client who said to me, I worked with him and his wife, and he said to me, our house can breathe now. And that is really the point for your house to breathe, for clutter and garbage to not be piled up in every corner. Um, she said her closet is full and she still, she said her closets are full. And so my question to you is, do you still store other things in other places? Are, are like all of your clothes together or are they... Um, mixed up in different places. I think that if you could manage to fit all of your clothes into one closet, you will be much happier and things will be a lot easier for you. She also um, wanted to know what to do with cables. She says um, cables are a big problem for her. What I like to do with cables are when we get a cable, I'll label it and I'll put it like I'll just put a piece of tape around it and label it and put it like with all the parts for whatever it is. I think that you can have too many cables, but I think that cables do go bad pretty quickly. So um, it's okay to discard cables that you're not using, but I think that um, it's also okay if you keep one or two extra cables in the house. I think you need to pick a number where it's too much for you and just draw the line, maybe five, maybe two. I mean, for us, it's just two. And, you know, when they break, we just go out and buy a new one. We don't keep a lot of them in the house anyways. Um, so if some something comes into our life, we'll hold on to it, you know, because we tend to go through, like, phone charging cables pretty quickly. They get shredded or just, I don't know, the tips bend or whatever. Um, I have invested in a few better quality charging cables and actually... 
they last a really long time and um, but we're not constantly getting new cables so I'm not actually sure I know that cables are a big problem people don't throw things out once they've you know gotten rid of the electronics so I just suggest going through seeing which electronics you already have and in the future when new cables come in just um, keep a roll of like masking tape or washi tape and you could just put a, like a little ring like a tag around it with tape and just label what it came from um, then she asked me she has tons of insoles from shoes and what should I do with them should I keep a few of them I don't need a huge stock so it sounds like you have just-in-case syndrome where you're keeping things just in case and I totally understand that and I hear the worry and like I I understand it but we're Baruch Hashem not in a war right now and we have Imuna and Hashem that he is going to bring us everything we need if you didn't like the insole in the shoe when you first bought it you're not going to like it later if you keep one or two extra insoles it's not going to be a big deal it doesn't take up that much space just keep it next to your shoes but you don't need to keep every single pair just in case just keep the ones that you um that you use and then she asked me or she said to me that her storage room in her basement in her condo is so full and she wants to know why is the storage room so full or I want to know why the storage room is so full and she said she has a microwave an AC unit and she doesn't need them in this apartment and what should she do and here's the thing about and I, I I'm pretty sure I've spoken about this before but when you're saving things like microwaves and air conditioners and like these big things where they're taking up a lot of space and you don't need them and you don't know when you're needing them again when you'll need them again it's not the same thing as storing your sukkah or your chanukiot or your pesach dishes you know you use your sukkah and your chanukiot and your pesach dishes once a year but if you have these air conditioners and you have a three-year lease and you don't know when you're going to use them again I really don't think it's Kedai to save them because a lot could happen where they get damaged when they're not in use. So maybe you could have a flood in the, in the basement or maybe a rat could chew through the electrical or a mouse could chew through the electrical wiring. And <laughs> like, okay, what do you do then? Then you had something sitting in your basement that isn't useful anymore at all. I think in that situation, if you move somewhere where you don't necessarily need something and you're not sure if you're gonna need it later on, in my opinion, it's worthwhile to sell it and put the money aside in a place where you can't access it so easily. Put it in a three-year CD or whatever and let it sit there and earn money for you instead of sitting there in your basement collecting clutter because there's so many possible ways that it could be damaged in between the time that you want to use it and the time that you actually use it that to me it just doesn't seem like it's worth the risk and there's a big difference between like I said putting the sukkah away where it's something that you need every year versus not knowing when you'll need something again and to me I don't know. I don't hold on to things like that that I'm not using. I have a small sentimental box of things that I've kept over the years, but it's very pretty small. Most of the stuff that we have in our storage area is, well, I'll tell you what's in our storage area. I have 
Um, I do have some clothes that I'm saving for my boys. Um, very, very little. I have a, a box of hangers that I brought from America that I'm saving. Um, I have folding chairs. I have our Pesach stuff. I have Hanukkah stuff. I have uh, tools, our tool, our toolbox. Uh, in the storage room, we keep our wine because it's pretty cool in there. Um, oh, and I keep like a few toys, like a, a, bit, a small bin of toys for when we have babies and toddlers come over and our folding high chair. And that's really it. I, oh, we have some coolers in there too. Um, but we don't have any like big, large ticket items that could get damaged if there was water and would be expensive to replace. Um, I would say that we, on a regular basis, use the stuff in the storage room. 50% of what's in the storage room we use at least once a month. Um, and so I feel like look at what's in your storage room and then decide based on the usage how, how useful it is for you to keep around or how much better it would be for you to sell it or loan it to somebody who needs it in the interim. Um, you sure do run the risk of maybe not getting it back in the same condition that you had it before, but I feel like, don't worry, Hashem will get you what you need. And so if your air conditioner is not working, again, when your sister is finished with it, Lonora, it's not terrible. It's not the worst thing. You did a chesed for your sister. Just chalk it up to some stucca and be done with it. Like, I don't know. To me, it's just stuff. We can always replace it. It can always, it, we can always find a way back to what, what, what we need. Um, so the last thing I want to just talk about really quickly is papers. Um, I will tell you what I do. And then I want to just hear a little bit about more what your pain point is. You can, um, you should keep a paper recycling bin right by your front door and just throw your junk mail in it right away. Um, I personally uh, have these mesh file boxes. I, I don't remember where I bought them from. I've had them since before I got married, so more than 15 years. Um, you can buy them at Staples or Office Depot or online, and it's really, really easy to, uh, to get hanging folders to put inside because there's two rails on the side and the hanging folders just fold in and out and they have tabs on them. And I just write like, you know, bank account, which bank account it is, insurance, car insurance. I keep all those like batched together. So I have insurance colon car, insurance colon home, insurance colon health. And like, I just sit them next to each other and all those folders are in the same color. I have a personal folder for each person in the family and a medical folder for each person in the family. I have, uh, you know, bank accounts or or social security or whatever I have, tax issue, you know, tax folders. But for me, the cube is the easiest way. Um, the base has wheels on it. I have a separate base that it sits in and it has wheels and I can roll it around and it's really convenient. I can move it from my desk to the table, depending on how I want to work. And I just find that for me, that's the easiest way to store papers. Some people like notebooks and plastic nylons. I personally don't like that system, but if it works for you, it works for you. Some people like magazine holders where everything just goes in. Some people like 
Um, file boxes, I have no objection to file boxes either. You could store them by year. Um, I have tried as much as I can to scan papers and then shred them. That works the best for me because there's less to keep. Uh, if you have access to a digital scanner and you know later access to the computer, I highly recommend that method. It's, in my opinion, the best way to store precious documents. So um, let me know if you have any more questions about papers. I'll be happy to speak about them a little bit more. Um, okay, ladies. I know this episode's a little bit shorter than normal, so uh, I apologize, but I hope that um, you really got something from it um, and that you enjoyed it. As always, you can leave me a voicemail on the mailbox, on the voice line, uh, voicemail here on the hotline, or you can send me an email, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H, at balaganbegone.com. Um, you know reach me. I, I am happy to hear from you and I will Bezrat Hashem, try to get through all the voicemails next week or maybe the week after also. Um, so as always, I wish you a good week, an organized week. And remember, Hashem keeps you organized. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Begon and I'll s speak to you next week.